Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who openly campaigns for the destruction of the state of Israel, is refused entry into Israel, at which point she begs Israel to let her in to see her Arab grandmother, at which point Israel offers to let her come in, at which point Tlaib says she doesn't want to go. We will examine what Congresswoman Tlaib finds so objectionable about Israel. Spoiler alert, it's all the Jews. Then President Trump proposes buying Greenland. The mainstream media laugh, but it's actually one of Trump's best ideas yet. Planned Parenthood threatens to defund itself. A witness corroborates a bartender's account of being sexually harassed by Don Lemon. And the New York Times has a bold new strategy for covering President Trump and conservatives. They're going to call us all racist. We will examine America's original sin from the very beginning. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. A lot to get to today, guys, on this, my 400th episode. I didn't think Ben was going to let me get to four episodes, but we've managed to get to 400. So thank all of you who have been uh, downloading it and subscribing and leaving five-star reviews for helping us get this far. I appreciate it. Today's show is going to be all about sin, specifically America's original sin, but let's start with a more immediate sin first. Actually, great news with regard to this sin The sin is abortion, and the great news is that Planned Parenthood is being defunded, at least partially. Planned Parenthood, we're going to get final word on this today, but it looks as though Planned Parenthood is going to be defunded. And the funnier part is, it's going to be defunded by Planned Parenthood. It's not going to be Congress. It's not even going to be really technically the White House. It's going to be Planned Parenthood that is defunding itself. Now, That will be to the tune of about $60 million, maybe a little bit more. Uh, Planned Parenthood gets half a billion dollars each year in taxpayer funding. So it's not the whole thing, but it's a pretty good dent. How is this happening? This is all because of a Trump administration rule change to the Title X program. And it tells you a lot about the way that President Trump does business and how he does government, because this was a pretty brilliant move that uh, a lot of us didn't see coming. What is Title X? Title X is the federal program dedicated to providing individuals with comprehensive family planning and uh, related preventative health services. Now, family planning has become a euphemism to mean killing babies, but it doesn't have to be that way. It can also involve birth control or prenatal care or all of these aspects related to sexual health and to pregnancy. Now, though, Planned Parenthood just uses family planning to be a euphemism for planning to get rid of your family by killing your babies through reproductive health, which is actually a service to stop reproduction. There's a lot of politically correct irony and inversion going on. Title X was established by President Nixon in 1970. And now in recent years, it's just been used by Planned Parenthood as a slush fund so that you, the taxpayer, can pay for abortions, even though legally you're not supposed to be forced to pay for abortions. So the Trump administration, very quietly, very sneakily, established a new rule. The new rule bars taxpayer-funded family planning clinics from talking with their patients about abortion or referring them to abortion providers. So they're saying, okay, look, we have all this federal money that's going toward family planning. You can get the money, no big deal. Planned Parenthood, you're welcome to the money. Only thing is you can't talk about abortion. But that's okay, Planned Parenthood, right? Because Planned Parenthood always talks about how they barely do any abortions. Abortion's a tiny, tiny percentage of their business. 97% of services, they say, 
are not abortion related. Now we know that that's BS. We know that Planned Parenthood only exists to perform abortions and that makes up the actual lion's share of their business, the vast, vast majority of it. But they cook the numbers and they try to pretend otherwise. So the federal government says, okay, fine. Good. You're good. Good thing. If abortion's only 3% of your business, then it's no big deal. Don't talk about abortion and you get the money. But Planned Parenthood can't do that because all they exist to do is perform abortions. So Planned Parenthood has been fighting this rule change for months now. And we've now seen two court decisions rule in favor of the Trump administration and against Planned Parenthood. What's even crazier about this is the decisions came from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Ninth Circuit is that very liberal left-wing circuit, the one that Trump himself has called out and said that that's awful and it's very left-wing. They always come to these left-wing decisions, and yet twice they rule in favor of Trump and against Planned Parenthood. Even more than that, the court denied Planned Parenthood's uh, request rather for an en banc hearing, meaning all of the judges, not just a panel of judges, and they did it unanimously. That is pretty brutal for Planned Parenthood. You've got the most left-wing court in the land ruling unanimously against you, so they're not going to bring it up to the Supreme Court. There's not a chance. If they can't win at the Ninth Circuit, and if they lose unanimously, they're certainly not going to take it all the way up to the Supreme Court. This shows us an incredible pattern emerging with President Trump that I don't think anyone is noticing, but it tells you a lot about the way that he conducts politics. We'll get to that in a second, but first... I have got to save you money. Let me save you money. Let me help you out. It is impossible to know what you are paying for with your big cell phone plan. It's impossible to know because they all have all these tiny hidden fees that actually aren't very tiny when you add them all up, right? So you agree to a plan, let's, I don't know, let's say it's 50 bucks. Then you get the bill, it's over a hundred bucks. How does that happen? I don't know, but it's always happened to me with my cell phone plans. No more because of Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same exact premium network coverage that you're used to at a fraction of the cost. How is this possible? Sounds too good to be true, right? I thought it was too good to be true. It's not. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. And the way that they do it is by not selling you a bunch of nonsense that you don't need. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. You get all of that. With Mint Mobile, though, what you stop doing is paying for unlimited data that you never use. Between your office, between places that you go to, you know, movie theaters or hotels or whatever, and between your home, you're not using that much data. You're usually on Wi-Fi. But what built big cell phone companies do is they sell you unlimited data that you're never going to even come close to using. And then they charge you 3X, 4X, 5X, which you should be paying for your plan. So with Mint Mobile, you get plans, but either three, eight, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. You use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. You keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch your old wireless bill. Start saving a lot of money with Mint Mobile. You can get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. That's not that's not just a joke. I know you think it's a joke because it's so much cheaper. It's unbelievable. You will get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Mintmobile.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Cut your wireless bill down to 15 bucks a month. That is a real number. That is not a pretend number. Go to mintmobile.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. What this tells us about Trump, the fact that he sort of secretly defunded a, a good amount of Planned Parenthood. We'll, we'll find out if Planned Parenthood formally 
pulls out of Title X today. I mean, it's probably happening right now, but it, it, most people are predicting that they will because they can't go on as the abortion mill that they are if they uh, agree to these, this new rule. That means President Trump just, while everyone was looking over here, while everyone was looking at all the tweets and all the kofefe, President Trump accomplished a significant portion of a significant promise of something that conservatives have been trying to do for decades. We're seeing this pattern. In 2017, President Trump failed to repeal Obamacare. You remember that? He campaigned on Obamacare. Forget him. Republicans had been campaigning against Obamacare since 2009. And they just had failed to do it. 2010, they didn't do it. 2012, they didn't do it. 2014, they didn't do it. 2016, Trump gets elected. He campaigns on it. 2017, they fail to defund Obamacare, to overturn and repeal Obamacare. And that's mostly because John McCain changed his mind at the last minute and really messed us over on an important campaign promise for the American people. But then what happened? Trump was upset about that. He still, you know, can't even hear the name John McCain without shivers going up his spine. But in 2018, the following year, President Trump passed a tax bill. Tax bill was good. It lowered rates, saved people money on their taxes. And what people weren't reporting at the time is that the tax bill repealed the individual mandate, which was the heart and soul of Obamacare. The whole problem of Obamacare, well, there are a lot of problems with Obamacare, but the central problem is that it forced you to purchase a product from a private company that you maybe don't want to purchase, that a lot of Americans didn't want to purchase. Totally crooked, totally unconstitutional. And that Trump tax bill got rid of the Obamacare mandate without anybody noticing, because we were all paying attention to the taxes. We were all paying attention to the crazy tweets. We were all paying attention to the kofefe. Meanwhile, President Trump fulfilled a good percentage of an important promise that no one else had been able to fulfill. He did it while we all weren't paying attention. It's the same thing here. You know, Trump gets elected in 2016. He becomes president in 2017. And so 2017, 2018, up through 2019, he had failed to defund Planned Parenthood. Now, is that his fault? I guess he could have leaned more on the House and the Senate when we still had the House and, and obviously controlled both branches or both houses of the legislature. But it's also on the legislators. What happened? Why didn't Mitch McConnell bring this up? Why didn't Paul Ryan at the time bring this up? Because Republican lawmakers are total cowards when it comes to Planned Parenthood. They don't really want to defund it. There's a ton of squishes among Republicans. They don't, they don't want to make uh, Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins vote on that. And frankly, they like to keep the pro-life issue uh, available. They like to keep Planned Parenthood being funded because it's a good fundraiser from us conservatives, us pro-lifers. The minute that you get rid of abortion, conservatives and Republicans lose a great fundraising tool, which is keeping all of us pro-lifers eager to defund these abortion mills. So I think cynically they moved not to do it. And so what does President Trump do? He doesn't get it through the normal way, the way that we were all expecting him to. And so now 2019, well into his first term, he changes this rule at Title X. Maybe he didn't even know that they were changing this rule. Maybe he just appointed good people who were able to fulfill that campaign promise. I mean, that's what presidents do is they delegate. And one way or another, this rule gets changed. And what you're looking at today is the possible defunding of Planned Parenthood by Planned Parenthood's own hand. This actually gives credence to the idea that President Trump 
is a deal maker, that he does the art of the deal, that he does negotiate, that he does get things done. He doesn't do it in the way that we all expect because we are used to that typical Republican. They know how to talk. They know the phrases. We know what the phrase means. When they say they're going to move the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, they don't really mean that, but it does mean that they'll do this and it means that. And you've got to play like 7D chess just to figure out what these people are even saying because they won't speak in plain English. And Trump comes in and he actually does manage to keep a lot of his promises. I don't know if it's most, but more promises than his predecessors at least. And he does it in ways that we don't expect. Of course, the way to defund Planned Parenthood is to go through Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. Well, that hasn't worked. So maybe while we're all looking over here, they're going to change a rule in Title 10. Maybe that doesn't get us half a billion dollars defunded from Planned Parenthood. But if, it, if we start with 60 million, that's a good start. And if we establish the precedent that Planned Parenthood has to give up its abortions or give up all that money, Maybe that's a good start. Maybe that's a compromise. Maybe that's not what we're used to in politics, but it, it is unbelievably, I mean, to many people who thought that President Trump was a, a fraud, he's a fake conservative, he's a fake deal maker, he's a game show host. What we're seeing is, I think, evidence of the art of the deal. Speaking of bad people in our government, not just the, all those bad people who weren't able to fulfill their promises, uh, let's talk about some really bad people in our government, like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. There, this blew up on Friday. Unfortunately, we didn't have a show then. Big hubbub. Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar were not going to be permitted to go to Israel. These anti-Israel congresswomen wanted to go to Israel, and then Israel said that they can't go to Israel, and Rashida Tlaib has a grandmother in in Israel, but they, she calls it Palestine. And so it's a big, awful mess. What's the long and short? The long and short is Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar still don't like Jews and Israel still has a right to defend itself. And really, regardless of what you think about American policy toward Israel or Israeli policy toward the Arabs and the contested territories or the Democrats or the Republicans, those two things remain true. It's pretty clear Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar don't like Jews. And it's pretty clear to people who respect the concept of nation states, who respect the world order, that Israel has a right to defend itself. It's simple as that. So what happened? Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, half the squad, announced they're going to go on a trip to Israel, except they didn't call it a congressional delegation to Israel. They called it a congressional delegation to Palestine. Palestine, which is that country right between Narnia and Wakanda, as you'll recall. It's a country that only exists in fiction. There has never been a nation called Palestine in, at any point in history, and there still is no nation called Palestine. But the people who want to get rid of Israel refer to this mythical nation called Palestine because they want to get rid of the country that is currently where Palestine is, which is Israel. The trip was not just on this sort of, I don't know, I guess you could call it academic question of the nature of the foundation of the state of Israel and the contesting the, the right of Israel to exist as a nation. We can actually just look at the people involved here. This trip was sponsored by virulently anti-Jewish people, specifically a group called MIFTA, which has accused Jews of using the blood of Christians in the Jewish Passover. They published an American neo-Nazi essay called Who Rules America? The Alien Grip on Our News and Entertainment Media Must Be Broken. Again, I'm not using the term neo-Nazi lightly. I'm using it to refer to people who do describe themselves in that way and who do uh, look favorably on Nazis and on fascism. 
And uh, the group, this group MIFTA also celebrates terrorists and suicide bombers. Really bad hombres, to use President Trump's phrase. This is not a good faith or goodwill uh, visit to Israel from these two women. And they're, they're associating with truly horrific people. So Prime Minister of Israel, Bibi Netanyahu, gets on Twitter and he says, quote, no country in the world respects America and the American Congress more than the state of Israel. As a free and vibrant democracy, Israel is open to critics and criticism with one exception. Israeli law prohibits the entry into Israel of those who call for and work to impose boycotts on Israel, as do other democracies that prohibit the entry of people who seek to harm the country. In fact, the pa- in the past, the U.S. did this to an Israeli member of the Knesset, as well as to other public figures from around the world. Congresswomen Tlaib and Omar are leading activists in promoting the legislation of boycotts against Israel in the American Congress. Only a few days ago, we received their itinerary for their visit in Israel, which revealed that they plan to visit whose sole objective is to strengthen the boycott against us and deny Israel's legitimacy. Nonetheless, if Congresswoman Tlaib submits a humanitarian request to visit her relatives, the Minister of the Interior has announced that he will consider her request on the condition that she pledges not to act to promote boycotts against Israel during her visit. Pretty measured response. A a country has a right to exist. A country has a right to keep people out who hate the country. I I understand the argument. The argument was, how dare Israel keep out a member of the U.S. government, an elected member of the U.S. Congress? Sure, but this elected member of the U.S. Congress is calling for the destruction of Israel. We wouldn't allow a foreign government official who calls for the destruction of the U.S. into our country. Sometimes, actually, that's not true. Sometimes we do because we host the U.N. in this country because we're adults and we allow some of the worst people on earth who call for the destruction of America to come to our soil. I think that's a bad idea. I don't think we should do it. We should probably knock down the U.N. and build Trump condominiums on the East River. But the point is, if we believe that that's true for America, that we shouldn't allow people who want to hate our country and destroy our country into our country, the same should be true of Israel. So, Bibi Netanyahu says, you can come into this country for a humanitarian visit as long as you don't call for the destruction of Israel while you're here. And what does Tlaib say? Does she say, okay, I'm going to go visit my grandmother? No. She says she doesn't want to go. She said, quote, when I won, it gave the Palestinian people hope that someone will finally speak the truth about the inhumane conditions. Hold on a second. I thought Rashida Tlaib was an American. I thought she was elected to give voice to her constituents in America, in Michigan. Now she's saying, I I was elected to give the Palestinian people hope. What? What? You're not the representative of the Palestinian people. At least you're not supposed to be. It's unbelievable. President Trump gets called a racist for saying that the members of the squad, Tlaib, Omar, AOC, and and Ayanna Presley, uh, seem foreign. They're representing foreign interests. They should go back to other countries. He gets called a racist for that. He gets called a bigot for that. He, He did speak technically inaccurately because... Uh, a lot of them weren't immigrants. But they, they say, how dare you refer to these women as foreigners? Rashida Tlaib's admitting that she views herself as a foreigner. She says, I won. When I won, it gave the Palestinian people hope. You don't represent the Palestinian people. There's, first of all, there's no such country as Palestine. But if she's referring to the Arabs who are in Israel, you don't represent them. You're not supposed to, at least. You're supposed to represent Americans. She goes, I can't allow the state of Israel to take away that light by humiliating me and use my love for my CT to bow down to their oppressive and racist policies. Uh, now, I don't know what CT means. I Googled it. Apparently, CT means grandmother. Uh, by the way, Rashida Tlaib doesn't know what CT is either. 
because she used the word Siti to, to uh, race bait, basically, to present herself as a foreigner, which she often does. But she actually changed the way she spelled it as the tweets went on, because apparently the more common spelling is S-I-T-T-Y, and she spelled it S-I-T-Y in the first one, so she changed the spelling of it. So she, she doesn't use these terms. And by the way, in America, we speak English. So if you want to use, I don't, when I talk about my Italian American grandmother, I, I don't say like, oh yes, uh, the other day I went to, to uh, New York to go visit my nonna. Yeah, yeah, we, I took a plane to New York and then I sat with my nonna and we went there and we ate la pasta la carbonara and then we had some pizza. Even when I use the words that are borrowed, I at least use the American pronunciation. That's what you do in America, but she doesn't do that. In other words, though, in her, in her tweet, she says, I love my grandmother, or Siti, or whatever. I love my grandmother, but I hate Jews more. Now, the left-wing media actually tracked down Rashida Tlaib's grandmother. And this video hasn't been making too many of the rounds, but it's worth watching. We'll get to that in a second. We'll see what this means for the squad. Then we'll get to buying Greenland. But first, you know, we're talking a lot today about our ancestry, our views of our identity, what that means for us. I love genealogy. I, I've been a longtime fan of genealogy, and I've been a longtime fan of Ancestry. Ancestry.com, the Ancestry DNA kit. I've been a fan of them for years and years and years. Now I get to thank them because they're a sponsor of the show, and they are terrific. If you ever wonder where your family comes from, you can discover more. You can learn about your story by combining the Ancestry DNA test with billions of historical family records. My relationship with Ancestry goes back pretty, pretty far because I would use Ancestry to discover all these cool things about my own lineage. I found out I descend from four uh, travelers on the Mayflower, one of whom was a pilgrim. Found out a couple of my ancestors, John and Simon Knowles, fought in the Revolutionary War. One of them traveled with, with George Washington at Valley Forge, spent the winter with him. I found out all these cool things. My ancestors who were in the Civil War, you wouldn't know that. In the old days, it was so hard to get these records. Ancestry makes it easy. Then I used Ancestry DNA. So you basically spit in a little tube. You send it over. It gives you much more precise information, geographic details, and clear-cut historical insights. And you can actually even trace your ancestors' journeys over time so you can follow how and why your family moved from place to place. They are just incredible at this. They've combined the DNA results with over 100 million family trees and billions of records to give you more insight into your genealogy and origins. Super easy to get started. And it really tells you about where you come from. It tells you about this, this personal history. Not that you're probably not going to get in a history book, but you, you will learn about yourself, where you come from. It's great. For a limited time, right now through August 20th, so not too long, but for a limited time, you can share your story for a chance to win a dream vacation to where your ancestors once lived. Ancestry wants you to discover the world through your DNA. Explore your heritage, your history, and connect with family. Take your self-discovery to the next level and explore what makes you, you. Go to Ancestry.com for more details to win your dream vacation. Go check it out right now. Ancestry.com. Go. I, I love those guys. Check it out. So they tracked down Rashida Tlaib's CT in Israel. And here is what uh, her, her grandmother had to say about President Trump. Spoiler alert, it wasn't terribly flattering. She's obviously not speaking in English, so I will translate. May Allah ruin him. I was happy that Rashida was coming. Everyone was excited that she was coming for her grandmother to see her. Ha ha ha, ha ha ha. 
So what's interesting about this is the way that the left-wing organization, now this translates it, is may God ruin him. May God ruin Trump. But that's not what she says. What she actually says is may Allah ruin Trump. And they don't translate it that way. What they would say is, well, the Christian and Muslim understanding of God is exactly the same. Now that's obviously not true for anyone who's ever read the Quran or the Bible or I don't know, even done a Wikipedia search. But that's the way that it's being presented. And it's, it's, I mean, if, if they had translated this and, and you had this picture of this foreign national saying, may Allah ruin the president of the United States, in a normal country at a normal time, that would, that would spark some outrage. We don't, we don't like that. We don't like when foreign nationals call for our president to be ruined by her conception of God, which by the way is a conception of God that traditionally, historically in the United States has not been one held by Americans. Now, they translated it, may God ruin him. They're trying, they're, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too on this foreign, uh, Rashida Tlaib in the squad are totally American, but actually they're foreign and actually America is terrible. So it's better to be foreign, but being foreign is American. It's very confusing. Tlaib put it all together. She said, quote, on Twitter, my city is the original hashtag squad member. So now she's not even just saying, we're the squad. She's saying this foreign national is the original squad member, which is the original point that President Trump was making when everybody freaked out. She says the squad originally is foreign. Trump says, you know, the squad seems foreign. And then everyone calls Trump a racist, including the squad. They can't have it both ways. And what this brings up are major questions of the nation. Israel's a nation. Does it have a right to exist? We now have two members of the U.S. Congress who say they don't, that Israel doesn't have a right to exist, at least two. It's actually more, but certainly Omar and Tlaib. We have a lot of people in this country who say the United States doesn't have a right to exist as a nation. We don't have a right to enforce our borders. We don't have a right to determine who comes into the country, who uses our services, who votes in our elections, who becomes a U.S. citizen. We don't have a right to do that anymore. That is the question that's being argued. And the way that the squad is currently arguing it is through this proxy, Israel, but their ultimate question, the ultimate end of, of these concepts is the notion of the American nation. And the 2020 race is going to be a referendum on that question as well. We'll see which side wins. Speaking of nations and nationhood and what makes up a nation, President Trump proposed an idea to expand our own country by buying Greenland. Seems like a little bit of a wacky idea, perhaps. Uh, the mainstream media has pilloried him for this and said it's laughable and crazy and ridiculous. Actually, it's one of the best ideas he's ever had. Because to quote Tony Soprano and others, it's a good idea to buy land because it's the only thing that God ain't making any more of. The United States has always done very well in real estate. The Louisiana Purchase in 1803 doubled the size of the country. I don't think we've ever regretted that purchase. The annexation of Texas in 1845 the annexation, the bringing in of California in 1848. We bought Alaska from Russia in 1867. That turned out pretty well for us. A lot of good natural resources up there. And it's a pretty strategic location. Now, Greenland, by the way, right now, isn't just its own completely autonomous country. It's owned by Denmark. So we'd be purchasing it from Denmark. Why does Denmark have a right to own Greenland? Greenland is closer to us. We're the superpower. It's strategically very important because it's in the Arctic. It's right off our coast. I don't know. It seems great. 
it, this is being presented as one of these crazy ideas that President Trump tweeted out while he was eating Cheerios or something. This idea actually has a long history to it. We've been talking about buying Greenland for years. In 2001, National Review's uh, John J. Miller talked about it, uh, said that this would be a great idea. I think the headline of his article was, let's buy Greenland. Then in 1946, we actually tried to do it. Uh, President Truman tried to buy Greenland for $100 million in gold bars. They turned that down. Apparently, Andrew Johnson in the 19th century considered buying Greenland as he was buying Alaska. Makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, media matters, those just scum of the earth, uh, cackling hyenas over there. I, I was on a television show, I was on Martha McCallum's show, talking about how it's a good idea to try to buy Greenland. And they lost their minds about this. Media Matters, which writes about me constantly, lose their mind about it. They say, oh, this is absolutely ridiculous. I said, was it ridiculous when Harry Truman tried to do it? Was it ridiculous when Andrew Johnson looked into it? Was it ridiculous when we bought a ton of other land to grow our country? Why is that ridiculous? Then they couldn't say anything. They could, so they actually, they uh, responded. They said, we don't know who you are. Media Matters published a giant piece trying to make me lose my job a, a couple uh, weeks ago. And so I reminded them, I said, oh, I'm the guy that you write about for a living. And the Media Matters, but that's what they do. Media Matters is a leftist operation that only exists to get conservatives fired from their media jobs. And so it, it's worth calling them out, not just the leftists in the media, but the leftists who try to shut us down. It's worth calling them out because all they have is innuendo. All they have is insinuation. They say, oh, what a yeah, that's a good idea. Sure. Yeah. Buy Greenland. That's a good idea. Well, I think it actually, it's got a lot of historical precedent to it. We've been trying to buy it for 70 years. Why is it a good idea? If predictions on global warming ever do come to pass, then as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo pointed out, this could open up new trade routes. It could reduce the time it takes to ship goods from the U.S. to Asia by like 20 days. It could open up trade routes through the Arctic. It could make Greenland crucial. And Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said, steady reductions in sea ice are opening new passageways and opportunities for trade. Arctic sea lanes could become the 21st century Suez and Panama canals. I think it's a good idea. Uh, Denmark said they're not interested in selling. It's something that the Trump administration could pursue. And as he often does, he accomplishes policy goals in uncommon ways. You don't expect Obama or Bush or Clinton or Bush to purchase whole gigantic land masses. But you know, look, we're in the Trump era. We're through the looking glass. Maybe it's not such a bad idea. We have got to get to new allegations against Don Lemon and why CNN is a hack outlet. But then most importantly, we've got to get to why the New York Times is a hack outlet because they have a new idea, a new strategy to attack Trump and conservatives, which is to call us all racists. I know they've never done this before. It's going to be so fascinating to see how that works. But they're going after America. They're saying America's rotten and racist to the core, and we're going to correct the historical record. But first, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. You know, we've got Daily Wire Live, the backstage show live on the road at the Terrace Theater in Long Beach coming up on Wednesday. If there are still tickets available, go get them now. It's going to be a ton of fun. Go to dailywire.com. You know, you get everything. My show, Ben's show, Drew's show, Matt Walsh's show. Ask questions in the mailbag coming up on Thursday. You get all of that and you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. You're going to need it now more than ever. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. So President Trump has called out the fake news media again and again and again. He pointed out that we go too easy 
on these guys. You know, they jump on us. Anything we do, I mention media matters a lot because they just exist to pounce on whatever conservatives ever say and get us to lose our jobs. And conservatives don't do that back to them. We don't even have an organization that does that. So last week, news came out that Don Lemon is being accused of sexual assault at a bar that just happens to be one of my favorite bars in New York. It's in Long Island in Sag Harbor. And I said, look, conservatives should give it to Democrats as good as we get it from Democrats. Conservatives should give it to the left as good as we get it. And when the left starts offering us grace three times in a row, then we can offer grace to the left. But on the point itself, you just don't know if these allegations are true. Now we're getting more information. It looks like this allegation against Don Lemon might be true. He's alleged to have been at this bar at Murph's, one of my favorite bars, good hard drinking spot. So people are definitely having a couple Coca-Colas over there. And some guy goes up to him and says, hey, you're Don Lemon. Can I buy you a drink? And he's like, nah, I'm actually hanging out with my friends. Then later on in the night when everybody is plastered, Don Lemon walks up to him and allegedly asks the guy if he's sexually attracted to him, reaches into his own pants, touches himself, and then puts it in the guy's face. And now the guy is suing Don Lemon. George Gunelas, who was the boss of the plaintiff at the time, came forward and corroborated the account. So he said, yep, Dustin, that's the plaintiff, worked for me as a bartender, and we went out after work one night. We were standing there. He said, hey, it's Don Lemon. Murph's is a place you go to drink after you've been out drinking. As I told you, he's corroborating my story as well. We'd just gotten off work. That's why we ended up there because we worked in the restaurant business. By the time everything is done, we can only hit up a late night spot. Don Lemon comes around the corner, stands face to face with us. He's saying, so you like me? Is that why you're bothering me? The other guy says, nah, man, I just wanted to say what's up. Then, according to this guy, Gunelas, Don Lemon said, do you like me? Is that why you're bothering me? Because you want to F me. Put his hands down his pants inside his board shorts, grabbed his genitals, then came out with two fingers and clipped Dustin's nose up and down with the two fingers and said, do you like female genitals or male genitals? I'll clean up the language that was apparently used. So he's corroborating it. You got a guy going on the record talking about that. Looks like Don Lemon might be in a little bit of trouble. Lemon apparently, allegedly offered to settle for a couple hundred thousand dollars some amount under a million dollars. The guy said, no, you're going to give me more money than that. And so now this is going, going into a lawsuit. I don't even say this to go after Don Lemon. I don't care about Don Lemon. I don't watch his show. I don't care if he has a show that is only sustained because in airports, the televisions are on CNN. I don't care if he's got the three viewers who actually watch him. doesn't matter to me. Unlike the left, I don't care if they have their own shows. But imagine if any conservative commentator, journalist, politician, if this had happened to any of us, you had an allegation like this corroborated by another eyewitness. Imagine there would be calls to take off our heads. There would be calls to tar and feather us. We would immediately lose our show, immediately lose our advertisers. We would be kicked out of polite company. There would be sexual assault investigations. You would, you would be told that the Republican party has a rape problem, that the conservatives have, that all the outlets have a rape problem. That's what you hear. If any of that would come against conservatives. And yet the story about Don Lemon, has he been kicked off his show? Have his advertisers dropped? No, of course. 
It's a total double standard. And this is, I think, what President Trump was talking about when he was actually chastising Sean Hannity for defending Chris Cuomo, a CNN host, in his own little PR scandal, which is they don't defend us. They go for the jugular against us. They try to kill us. And we don't fight back because we believe in a civil, in a civil society. We believe in having a little bit of grace, extending that to us, having a little gratitude, having a little humility. They don't have it. And so there's nothing moral or compassionate or nice about lying down and letting the left ruin our culture and our politics. Sometimes that means you have to fight back a little bit hard. You have to fight the lies. You have to use clear language, even if it's not pleasant, even if you'd rather not do that. And this brings us to our main question today. The New York Times, they've got this new strategy. New strategy, same as the old strategy. And that strategy is they're going to call conservatives and Republicans and Trump a racist. Wow, how novel. But they're really turning the volume up to 11 here. They're, they're not just saying they have these racist policies, they do this racist sort of thing. They're saying the whole country is rotten to the core. They call it the 1619 Project. 1619, what does that refer to? New York Times tells us, in August of 1619, a ship appeared on the horizon near Point Comfort, a coastal port in the British colony of Virginia. It carried more than 20 enslaved Africans who were sold to the colonists. No aspect of the country that would be formed here has been untouched by the years of slavery that followed. On the 400th anniversary of this fateful moment, it is finally time to tell our whole story truthfully. Finally time. It's finally time to acknowledge that America had slavery. Is this news to anybody? I guess it's news to the uneducated people who read the New York Times, but it's not news to all the rest of us. We know that there's slavery. America is more honest than any country in the world about the tragedies of our history. Finally time. What is this about? What this is about is making this fundamental argument that America is terrible. You have, you have two choices on the left. Some leftist politicians say America is awful. Foreign things are good and America is awful. That's what Rashida Tlaib and the squad are doing. But then the left wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want to claim the mantle and say, but we're the true Americans and the right, they're bad Americans. And, and it's actually the most American thing we can do is, I don't know, go to Israel and talk about how awful Israel is. The most American thing we can do is denigrate our country. The most American thing we can do is denigrate our American flag. And those are contradictory. Because the question you have to ask, is America good or is America bad? Do we, uh, even more basic than that, because history is complicated. Do we like America? Do we not like America? And the left, does, they want to have both sides of that. It seems pretty clear to me if you're protesting the flag, which is a symbol of the country itself, you don't like America. It seems pretty clear if Colin Kaepernick used to pretend the flag protest wasn't about protesting America. He said it was about police brutality, but then he protested the Betsy Ross flag from the late 19, uh, late 18th century. So I guess he thought there was police brutality in the late 18th century too, or so he's protesting the local police from 1787. I don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. The reality is they don't like the country, but sometimes they like to pretend that they do. They should like the country because their, their view of history that has brought them to hate this country is just profoundly wrong. So the New York Times explains the purpose of this project. They say, the 1619 Project is a major initiative from the Times observing the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery. It aims to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as our true founding and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans 
at the very center of the story we tell ourselves about who we are. So they're, they're very honest. They say, we want to rewrite American history. And we don't want to say that our founding was in 1776 or 1787 or 1812 or 1620. It's 1619. The defining essential feature of America is slavery. That's what they want to say. Now, what they want to pretend is that Americans have covered up some dark aspect of our past. Obviously not. We talk about slavery all the time. We talk about race all the time. We've actually argued about slavery since the very beginning. These were debates that it happened. We almost didn't get a constitution because of debates about slavery. In the, there were, in the original draft of the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson wrote about how awful slavery was, how they hated that the British forced the institution of slavery on them. We've been arguing about it since the beginning. And when you talk about rough treatment of Native Americans, for instance, or systems of slavery, even well before 1619, you see from the very beginning, from Columbus's voyages, there are arguments over slavery, human dignity, the treatment of the natives. Bartolome de las Casas writes about this, one of the great admirers of Christopher Columbus, but he, he defends the natives against this treatment and this slavery. We fought a bloody civil war in America that killed 700,000 Americans or thereabouts to resolve the question of slavery. We concluded that slavery is contrary to our national soul. We got rid of slavery. Now the New York Times and the left are telling us that slavery is essential to the American soul. Here's the first piece. They're running all these absolutely awful, just tripe essays about how awful America is. Here's one of them. Here's, this is the big one that's been going around. Our democracy's founding ideals were false when they were written. Black Americans have fought to make them true. This is anti-historical race-baiting drivel. It's written by a woman named Nicole Hannah-Jones, who has lived as privileged a life as they get in the United States. She's a... Uh, She's a, a former MacArthur fellow. That's the genius grant where you get half a million dollars just for how you write. She's won the National Magazine Award, a Peabody Award, and a George Polk Award. And what's funny is the entire thesis of this article is that white people are terrible, America is terrible, and only black people have been good in America. And, and what's funny is she then lists all of her awards and, and fellowships, including the MacArthur one. She names a whole lot of white people who are in those lists. She names a whole lot of American institutions that have helped her. She's lived an American dream by becoming a very successful person in a country that she says is hopelessly terrible and bigoted and racist. Listen to what she says. This quote, my dad always flew an American flag in our front yard. Our corner lot, which had been redlined by the federal government, was along the river that divided the black side from the white side of our Iowa town at the edge of our lawn, high on an aluminum pole soared the flag, which my dad would soon would replace as soon as it showed the slightest tatter. Like all the black men and women in my family, he believed in hard work, but like all the black men and women in my family, no matter how hard he worked, he never got ahead. So when I was young, that flag outside our home never made sense to me. I didn't understand his patriotism. It deeply embarrassed me. Now, why is that? Why did her father have this sense despite, do you think her father was an idiot? I don't think so. I think he he obviously he sired this woman who has achieved quite a lot in writing and journalism. She's thought about these things. I don't think he was an idiot. I think he knew that there were challenges. He was overcoming challenges, and yet he still loved his country. And in some ways, the country was improving for him, and that was a good thing. And he was fighting for it because he believed in America. So where did she get this awful anti-American view? Well, she tells us, because I had been taught in school through cultural osmosis that the flag wasn't really ours, that our history, meaning ours, meaning black people, that our history as a people began with enslavement and that we had contributed a little to this great nation. So she had been taught 
by leftist indoctrination in schools that America was awful and black people didn't have a connection to it. Now she, she eventually comes to the conclusion that her father knew more than she did. That there actually was a reason to like the country, but her conclusion remains nevertheless limited, ultimately wrong. And her conclusion basically is that the only good thing that ever happened to America was black people and black people never got anything uh, from America and America's still a rotten place, but at least there are black people to help America. Now, nobody says black people haven't contributed quite a lot to America. Of course, that's what we all, we believe we've all contributed something to America. This is a wonderful place. Everyone's gone through hardships and struggles. Immigrant groups have gone through hardships and struggles. The settlers obviously went through hardships and struggles and we've done it. We've worked it out and there's a country that we love. But that's not her conclusion. Her conclusion is essentially race hustling, anti-history. She writes, the nation, the United States is a nation founded on both an ideal and a lie. This lie of, of liberty, this lie that gives us our love of country. That's not a lie. It's, it was a political tradition that at that time was not extended to everyone in the country. Like it, like it wasn't extended to everyone in the country anywhere in the world. But she goes, without the idealistic, strenuous, and patriotic efforts of black Americans, our democracy today would most likely look very different. Well, of course that's true. It might not be a democracy at all. Actually, we're not a democracy, we're a republic, which uh, as we see in the corrections to this article, uh, it, it becomes abundantly clear that the New York Times generally doesn't know very much about our own country and its history. The very first person to die for this country in the American Revolution was a black man who himself was not free. This is true. Uh, this is there are also strange historical coincidences, though, that, and ironies, I guess, that complicate the historical record. Uh, there's this incredible irony, which obviously American slavery develops into this pretty hardline racial system, as, at least by the end of it. In the early days, though, the first legally recognized uh, owner of a slave for life in what would become the American slave system was a black man. The slave was black, and he himself was black. That's a strange historical irony. We also know that in, in Native Americans of the five civilized tribes owned black slaves at a rate similar and comparable to the neighboring whites. We know that Native Americans marched black slaves down the Trail of Tears or shipped them on boats to the new territories. This complicates the historical question and it complicates ideas such as the original sin of the nation. This is where, so, but even with all of this, she hasn't gone totally wrong yet in this article. Here is where she goes wrong. She goes, Black Americans fought back alone. Yet we never fought only for ourselves. The bloody freedom struggles of the civil rights movement laid the foundation for every modern civil rights struggle. Black Americans fought back alone. No Abraham Lincoln, no 700,000 white Americans dying to fight this question. No heated arguments at the Constitutional Convention. No heated arguments among people who weren't black, who wanted to limit and reduce the institution of slavery, no bloody Kansas, no bloody history at all. It's what, what this boils down to is white people bad, only black people good. America's a terrible place, but, but we're the most American, which is good, but we're, it's the same struggle that the left has been having. Do they like their country or do they not like their country? It's funny as in the corrections to the, the article, they, they actually incorrectly got the date of the, uh, they, they wrote incorrectly the date of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which is a pretty important one. They also misspelled the surname of a Revolutionary War era writer. In the rights view of America, 
Everyone has contributed. There has been historical difficulty. There has been tragedy. There have been evil institutions, such as the evil institution of slavery, in part foisted upon us, in part embraced by, the, by American history. We then fought a bloody civil war to get rid of it. That was a good thing. There were wonderful movements to, to make America a better place. Around the world and other places, slavery persists even to this day. But we got rid of it. And relatively quickly, that's a good thing. That's something to be proud of. That's something to love about this country. It's a reason to love the country. And yet, there's this idea that America's original sin was slavery. It was a sin that we will never recover from. There's no redemption from that. That's the premise of, of the, the entire New York Times 1619 project. And you hear a lot of conservatives refer to slavery as our original sin. It's not. It's a sin, no doubt about it. Slavery is a sin. America's original sin is not slavery. America's original sin is original sin. We have a fallen human nature. We are not going to get to utopia. We are not going to get to paradise on earth. All we can do is join arms together, have some love for each other, have some love for our fellow countrymen and for our country, try to make this place better while we can. It will never be perfect. There is no going back to the Garden of Eden. That is the fundamental lie. That is the fundamental divide between the right, which is trying to make the best out of what we've got and is grateful for the things we've been given, and the left, which has a utopian vision of America that looks with their friends and countrymen with disdain, with absolute hatred of American history, Americans' origins, and only wants to get to that perfect paradise which doesn't exist. That's the option. What kind of country do you want? Do you want a country at all? That's our show. We got more to get to, but we're out of time. Head on over to uh, Daily Wire and I'll see you tomorrow. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz, director Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our senior producer is Jonathan Hay, supervising producer Mathis Glover, technical producer Austin Stevens, editor Danny D'Amico. Our audio mixer is Mike Coromina, hair and makeup by Jesua Olvera, production assistant Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The New York Medical Examiner has declared the death of the New York Times a suicide after the wealthy but perverted former newspaper strangled itself in a philosophical cell of its own making. We'll get to the heart of the conspiracy on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven.